0: I want to share with you uh, out of two passages that are in books of beginnings. So I want to share out of Genesis, which is, you know, the first book in the Bible. If you didn't memorize the order of the books of the Bible in Sunday school, Genesis is the first book of the Bible talking about beginnings. And then I want to share out of a passage in John. And out of the three, or the four, there's four Gospels, um, John is the most unique Out of the four Gospels, and if you you may or may not know that John starts in John one in the beginning, same phrase as the book of Genesis. So I want to talk about two beginnings. And two weeks ago, I was actually in St. Louis, sharing on Joseph. So I'm so glad that our friends from St. Louis are here, because I'm sharing a lot of the same passages. They can tell me, you know, how well it it paired out at the end of the message. but I was sharing on Joseph, who's in the book of Genesis. So the story of Joseph closes out the book of beginnings. And as I was driving back, I was just praying for the church and, and thinking about our vision statement. I had five hours by myself. So I decided that I was going to listen to podcasts from all of the different live stream churches on my way back. So I had five hours, about 30 minutes. I got to listen to a lot of different podcasts. It was really, really great and really inspiring. And I was thinking about our vision statement that goes across all of our churches um, that, that, you know, Dan states that our, our vision is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people to express God's heart, fulfill their dreams, and change the world. And as I was sharing on Joseph that morning, I realized that Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And the story of Joseph is about dreams. It's about power in the Holy Spirit and being empowered by God to do amazing works. And it's about changing the world and seeing God glorified. I was like, oh my gosh, the story of Joseph it's so gospel and bible and not only that if the story of joseph closes out genesis maybe dreams power and the glory of god has been his plan for us in the kingdom of heaven since the beginning since the beginning So I want to walk through this and look at dreams, which I feel like are tied to our calling. Our dreams and our calling are really close to each other. And then I want to talk about power, because we're a church that's about seeing people empowered. And then I want to talk about how we change the world. And if we're going to change the world, it's going to happen through you and me. Walking in the power of Jesus. And if we're going to do that, we need to know what God is like. We need to know But God is like, and when we read the Bible, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when we read the Bible, we look at the people of the Bible as the role models. So when we go to the story of Joseph, we're like, wow, Joseph, you know, Joseph is one of the characters in the Bible that has nothing negative about him at all in the entire story, which is why I'm convinced he's a foreshadowing of Jesus. I think you'll agree with me by the end of the message. And so we look at the story of Joseph and we think about them sometimes as role models, but if we do that, we miss the richness of the story. Because what the story is actually about God. The story is about God's heart being expressed through a man, through a son, the son of a great man, right? He was the son of Israel, the son of Jacob, the son of the man who was going to become a nation of people who were going to be the hope of God in the earth. The hope of God's glory in the earth. So really, this is a story about God's heart from the beginning. And the people in that story are supporting actors expressing God's heart. Their weaknesses provide a backdrop to God's perfection, that we can see God's glory more clearly, and God's response to people, both Israel and Jacob and his children, but also to the entire nation of Egypt— Shows us God's heart to us, to use us, like Joseph, but also to the whole world. So it might sound sort of reminiscent to how John talked about the beginnings in the book of John. Because he starts in the beginning, of course, there was the word and the word was God. But we move quickly up to John 3.16 and picture the story of Joseph, which we're going to walk through. And in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I think in Genesis, God so loved the world that he gave Jacob Israel's son. That all the people that believed when Joseph interpreted those dreams, that they wouldn't perish. They didn't have eternal life then, but certainly their lives were all saved. God's been telling this story since the beginning. And what I want you to walk away with today is a revelation that we are the continuation of that story today. It says in Colossians that we are the hope of glory, Christ in us. So if we're going to change the world, we need to know that from the beginning, from Genesis to the next beginning in John, when Jesus brought in and ushered in the kingdom of heaven, we are the hope. We are the hope of glory. And as I was listening to the podcast, I heard this one verse that was repeated a lot of times in all the different congregations, and it was Proverbs 13, 12. And you may know Proverbs 13, 12. Proverbs 13, 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but dreams fulfilled are a tree of life. Now, my charismatic mind has always translated that as a hope deferred, you know, makes my heart grow sick because I have all these dreams and prophetic words over my life that I'm just waiting to see fulfilled so I can have so much life. And as I listened to this verse and all these different messages, God started saying something really profound to me. It's not your hope deferred. It's not your hope deferred. It's not your heart growing sick. Your heart might feel like it is, but it's actually the hope of the world waiting to see your dreams fulfilled. So that you can be a tree of life, not a tree full of life, not a tree that has a great life, not a tree that's prettily pruned with lots of flowers, which is what I would imagine my tree to look like, but a tree of life, a tree that gives life. Wow. So I wanna talk today about dreams, not the American dream. That's our dream to see ourselves in success and in power so God can be glorified through us. But I wanna talk about the dreams, the secret dreams, maybe the dreams we profess that God lays so deeply in his heart because they're intertwined with what he's called us to do. And then he empowers us both laterally, vertically, through his love for us, but also horizontally that when we gather together, that we encourage and empower one another in the dreams that God's given us. Because we're all saints now. Joseph walked in a time when they weren't all saints. But we are a fellowship of encouragers and empowerers because we are all trees that give life. So I want to start the story of Joseph with, first, with 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, which is, of course, where you start all stories about Joseph. Um, and for 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12 says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's calling, there's dreams, there's power, and there's glory in 2 Thessalonians. So let's go back to Genesis. And Genesis is divided into three sections. The first section is the creation of humanity, right? The the creation of the world, the Garden of Eden, the first temple of God's presence in this earth. The second section is the establishment of the patriarchs, right? The patriarchs are the fathers of our faith, starting with Abraham, then his son Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons who become the nation of Israel And we look at what happens with these patriarchs. In Genesis 12, 1 through 9, God calls Abram to be a great nation. And he says to them that all of the people on earth will be blessed through this great nation. This is what God establishes in the middle section of Genesis. And then the third section of Genesis, which is Genesis 36 through 50, we see the creation of that nation through the story of Joseph a people who are called to change the world, and it's first demonstrated in the dream, the power, and the glory of God through the life of Joseph. So the story of Joseph begins with a 17-year-old boy, and he was really well loved by Jacob. Jacob had him in his old age. His mother was Jacob's favorite, and Jacob really loved Joseph, and because of that, all of his brothers hated him. They hated his guts. And in the midst of all of this hate, Joseph has a dream, and he dreams twice, once that he's out in the fields and all of the sheaves, 11 of them, I think, bow down to him. And then in the second dream, he dreams that the sun and the moon and the stars all bow down to him. And of course, Joseph, being the younger brother that he is, shares this with all of his brothers who already hate him and they hate him more and they really just want to kill him at this point because not only are they bowing down to him, but now the sun and the moon are the parents bowing down to this guy as well. What is his deal? So we think about this in terms of dreams, the way we look at dreams and the calling of God today. And at 17, if I had had this dream, I would have gone to college and enrolled in a political science program. Right? Because the whole world's going to bow down to me. So I need to know how to rule and make laws and do rulerly, bow downable things. Um, And so I'm going to go and I'm going to get armed with a great education. And um, I'm going to, you know, maybe practice my my regal stance and my wise decrees um, because that seems like the way that dream should go. Right? And what we find is a man who God uses profoundly to save the whole world, but in ways that he probably never would have anticipated his dream being fulfilled. Because his brothers decide to kill him, and they don't end up killing him because of his kind of nice brother, Reuben, who says, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery. You know, it's uh, somewhere in between death and slavery. And so he ends up in slavery, right? He goes into Egypt, he's bought by Potiphar, I'm just going to recap the story a little bit for you, um, so you can imagine with Joseph, and he has he has this dream, but he wakes up at 17 and a half. I don't know, maybe it takes him half a year um, in Egypt as as a slave, and it's a step it's a step towards power in his life. And he does really well at it. He does great as a slave. He's the best of slaves. He's so good at being a slave that Potiphar gives him control over all of his business and all of his household and he's good enough at it that he's desirable to women, you know, as well. And he finds himself falsely accused and in prison. Does this sound like another man who came a few centuries later? A man who lived a perfect life who persevered as a servant and ended up falsely accused and in prison. So he ends up in prison, and he does the same thing he did as a slave. He's a convict now, and he serves God. He holds the dream, but he serves God faithfully so that by the time he's you know, reached his maturity in prison conviction, I guess, um, he's pretty much running the prison. And he interacts with two guys who come into the prison who work in the house of Pharaoh, And he does, he continues to do good works empowered by God. And he translates two dreams. One of the guys dies. One of the guys, his dream is fulfilled. He goes back to Pharaoh's house and he forgets all about him, right? Forgets all about him. And so finally, Pharaoh has a dream. And noise is really bugging him. He's Pharaoh, so he gets to be bugged by things. And he has this dream, and he, he can't figure out what it means, but it's really bothering him. And this servant for, who's forgotten all about Joseph goes, Oh, yeah, back when I was in jail, there was this guy, and he ter- interpreted my dream, and he was right. And it came true. So Pharaoh's like, Bring him out. So if we turn to Genesis, um, not there yet. If we turn back to Genesis, we see that the calling of God on his life um, had everything to do with ministry, but nothing to do with ministry in the way that we define it today. So Joseph never preached. Joseph never even had a prophetic word over his life. Jacob was the only person that might have even agreed with the destiny, with the dream that Joseph had. But Joseph held on to that dream. And in fact, the calling of God on his life was really fulfilled through his job running a feeding program in a warehouse. And I teach warehousing, and I know there is nothing inspiring about warehousing for most of my 20-year-old students. They aren't like, we are going to go change and save the world through warehousing. But we find out in Genesis 41, Joseph is now in Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger, He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot and as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way or bow down. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Can I say that most of us wouldn't think we were stepping into power as a servant? And it's a pretty amazing thing to have the signet ring of Pharaoh. And a lot of times we think, you know, Egypt at this time was the largest civilized nation in the world. And as Pharaoh recognizes this in Joseph, he's still a servant. But he rides through the streets of Egypt in a chariot. And the people cry out, bow bow down starting to feel like a dream fulfilled. And maybe if the story ended there, we could have the American dream in the sense of, I will fulfill things and conquer and have great power and position. Um, But then the story does continue. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph this crazy Egyptian name, zephanath and he gave him Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of An, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Interesting facts about Joseph's life. And Joseph was at this time 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Jesus, at the age of 30, also entered into ministry for the king. But he wasn't the king of the greatest nation in the world he was the king of kings for all of eternity. So Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. And Joseph collected all the food produced in the seven years of abundance and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. And it was so much that he stopped recording records because it was beyond measure." Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, and Joseph named his firstborn and said, it is because God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. And then the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. And when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, do what he tells you. And when the famine had spread over the country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And in that time, all the world came to Egypt To buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. In Genesis, the book of beginnings, God so loved the whole world that he chose the nation of Israel, his called out son, to believe and to serve so that whoever believed his dream wouldn't perish but would have seven more years of life, I guess, from the grain in Pharaoh's storehouses. And so I want to talk briefly about calling. And the word calling in the New Testament is the word klesis, and it's only used 10 times. And each of the 10 times it comes up in the New Testament, it comes up in reference to calling, to power, and to the glory of God. Every time. So I'm going to give you the references so you can go and fact check me and check it out for yourself and read these passages. And then I'm going to focus in and hone in on just a few of them. The first is Romans 11:29 that talks about the calling of God on our lives. The second is 1 Corinthians 1:26. 1, the third is 1 Corinthians 7:20. Ephesians 1:18. Ephesians 4:1 and 4. Philippians 3:14. 2 Thessalonians 11, which we just read. 2 Timothy 1.9, Hebrews 3.1, and 2 Peter 1.10. And I want to just touch on a few of these. Um, I want to look at the two verses in Ephesians. And in Ephesians 1.18, Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in also the ages to come. Our calling translates into God's story of Jesus' power and his glory. And then in Ephesians 4, 1 and 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Called, we're the hope, and this is so much bigger than us. To Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he began in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In the beginning, Jesus was there with this purpose on his heart. And Joseph was never more than a servant, but he understood that he was called to serve God. And he trusted in God that no matter what his circumstances were like, and he had moments, I think when all of Egypt had a big parade and shouted, bow down, he might have thought, gosh, I've arrived. This is the dream, right? You know, it's more than 11, all of Egypt, bowing down and shouting out, bow down. And this was his dream after all, but he lived his life to serve God to glorify God. So let's look at power. And when we talk about it from 1 Thessalonians, it says, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by God's power. And in the time of Joseph, power, power was demonstrated through land ownership. Power was about land. And you know, as a, as a slave, as a convict, and as a servant, Joseph didn't have any land. But when we look at the promise of God to Abraham, God actually promised Abraham land. Land that Jacob was already living in. Jacob and Joseph's brothers lived in Canaan. And um, it's interesting that God calls Joseph from Canaan, that was going to end up being the promised land, into Egypt. At the end of the beginning so that he could demonstrate to the entire world his love for all of humanity before he called them out of Egypt Egypt and back to the promised land with all of the world's eyes on them. When the people of God left Egypt, if you remember the story of Moses, right? Egypt kind of chases them out of Israel, and we have the red, or Egypt, and we have the Red Sea, and we have all of these amazing things. The whole world was aware in that moment of what this nation, a people, were doing. And so we look at the story of Joseph, and we know that the tribes are launched from Egypt in Jacob's death. Um, And it's really interesting when we look at Joseph that Joseph is not actually a tribe. His two sons became tribes, not Joseph himself. And I think in my very Western mind, I think, well, I would want to have a tribe named after me. Right? We want to see it in our generation, not the generations to come. We're like, ah, oh, do it in our... Which we do. We do want God to do it in our generation. Um, but we think about this. So um, Joseph's sons become the tribes of Israel. So I would argue to some extent in this story that the story isn't about the importance of Joseph, but about the lives he saved and the lives he birthed. Yeah. Because that's where the nation was born. So land was power. And Joseph does actually inherit a land. He does. When when Jacob is dying, he promises Joseph a land in Genesis forty-eight, twenty-one through twenty-two. And he says to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you, and he'll take you back to the land of your fathers, and to give you and to you I give one more ridge of the land to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. So this land would have been just north of Jerusalem and just south of Mount Ebor, right? Mount Ebor up there in in the north. Um, And just south of Mount Ebor in Manasseh's land, a land that would eventually be called Samaria. So I don't know if you know a lot about Samaria, but the Samaritans um, were the Harry Potter version of half-bloods. I think that's somewhat sacrilegious to compare. Um, But they were, they were um, Jews that married Gentiles and so they were shunned by the nation of Israel um, to the point that they were given this land called Samaria and they weren't allowed in the temple so they had a mountain that they went up to worship God on. So Joseph gets this, this random field in Samaria and it's really interesting because a few centuries later a 30 year old man also begins a journey. From Galilee, where he starts with the wedding of Cana in the book of John, he starts traveling down south to Jerusalem. We know what happens in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus dies on the cross so that the whole world can be saved, this time for eternal life. And on this journey, he chooses to go through Samaria that any good Jew would have actually avoided, probably. And he travels through Samaria And his travel through Samaria starts in John 4. And we know John 3.16 leads into John 4, that God so loved the whole world. Um, And it's, you know, our our favorite verse. And we hit um, John 4 right after this passage. And Jesus enters Samaria and has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. So in John 4 it says, um, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John John the Baptist. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples, so Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Um, His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And it's interesting, in John 3, John talks about Moses. And in John 4, John talks about Joseph. That Joseph had been God's first demonstration of love to the Gentiles. He could have just given Joseph the dream for Israel back in Canaan, but he didn't. He called Joseph through slavery, conviction, falsely convicted, and then into servanthood for a king so that the whole world, not just his own people, could be saved. Then, centuries later, when he sends his son to save the entire world, he does it in the field that Joseph inherited the man who centuries before had demonstrated God's love to the whole world, Jesus now for the first time woos the Gentiles and demonstrates once again that salvation is for the whole world. But this time, it's not just for seven years. He doesn't just give him bread, but he offers bread and water that will never run out. And we think about the power of land. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that he will rise up a great nation. And his focus is on land, the promised land. His people needed a land because they needed a sacred place for the presence and power of God to dwell. And this day in Samaria, in Joseph's field, so many centuries later, Jesus says, We will no longer worship in a temple. Or on top of a mountain. A day is coming when we will worship in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of worshiper that the Father speaks. Because God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We are now the place of God's power. Because Paul says, we are the temples. That Jesus came and he ushered in the hope for all of humanity and that he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to be the dwelling place of his presence in the world. Your dreams deferred make the hope of the world grow sick. So that the power of God can be given to you because you are the hope of his glory today. So when we look at the glory of God, we know that the name of Jesus is glorified in us, Thessalonians says. And us in him, according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so beautiful in this story in Genesis. When Joseph dies, it's, you know, a big deal. But when Jacob dies, the father of the nation of the people of God, Egypt mourned for 70 days. Jacob didn't do anything for Egypt. His son Joseph did. But Joseph is a demonstration of what our lives look like. That when we do great works for every good resolve through the power of God in us, that people will maybe recognize the power of God in us, and we might have parades if we're so lucky. But at the end of the day, it is our Father in heaven who is glorified. Just as Jacob The nation of Israel was celebrated by the greatest nation in the world who hardly knew him. This is our calling. This is why we have to dream. This is why we have to be full of the power of God. Because his glory is waiting to shine out and we are the hope of it. So John 13, 31 through 34, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you can't come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we're no longer called like Joseph to hold on to dreams alone. We're called into a fellowship of saints, a fellowship of temples, A fellowship of people full of the power and presence of God. And the whole world should look to us and say, Wow, look at how they love and empower and encourage one another. So God brought Israel into Egypt to demonstrate their set-apartness first. So he could save his people out of Egypt and demonstrate to the whole world that his love doesn't just stop with a few people. So if we look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, we remember that Paul's prayer was that God make us worthy of his calling so that we can fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of Jesus Christ can be glorified in us and us in him. So we have been called with dreams and aspirations And really, these dreams are about seeing the kingdom of heaven fulfilled. That we pray, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come in us. And we've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for all the works of faith. That in those moments where we feel like we're in such a lowly place, the power of God is there so we can interpret the dream. So we can speak the truth. So that God can be Glorified. And if we turn to Colossians 1, verses 24 through 28. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in what I, I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you The word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to us. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as we go into this week, and it's, it's Christmas week, and we reflect on all that Jesus has done for us, right? We think about Jesus, the baby, coming, and establishing Emmanuel, God, with us. And I don't know where you're at today, whether you feel like um, you've missed dreams or, you know, dreams are unfulfilled, and, um, or if you just really need a touch of the power of God to feel filled up um, and to, uh, to see his presence and feel his presence again, um, or whether you just need a taste of that glory, I want to encourage you this week to remember. And as you remember, just to understand that God with us is about his power, it's about our dreams, but his power and his glory fulfilled in us. As we go into this season, just remembering that from Genesis to John to today, that this is the hope of the world. It's Christ in us. Father God, I just thank you right now that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that your presence with us means not just that you have already made us worthy, not just that your grace has made a way, that the Holy Spirit has come. He's followed you and filled us with power. Father God, I just thank you so much today that we can be reminded constantly of, how, of your love and affection for us. That not only did you choose us to glorify you, but you chose us to be glorified in you. So God, today I pray, I pray for dreams. Holy Spirit, I pray that you water those dreams. That you restore dreams in lives where those dreams feel like they're impossible. Because the power of the Holy Spirit paired with those dreams fulfilled is like a tree of life. That the whole world, that the whole world can see your glory in us. So Father God, remind us. Remind us of that moment when we turned first to you. That we saw your sacrifice for us. That you saved us not just from hell, but for a life of power and glory. So Father God, whether Christmas is a time of great celebration or loneliness, or sadness, or longing. Father God, I pray that you remind us that from the beginning of time, you created all of humanity for this. That you could glorify yourself through us. And it's made possible through Jesus today. Thank you so much, Father God, that your presence is with us.